Welcome to Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. We give vitalistic chiropractors a chance to learn from the best around the world, discovering how they overcame their challenges and achieved success. In order for chiropractic to thrive, we must have thriving chiropractors. Now listen up, it's time to crush the curse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Underdog Curse for Vitalistic Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host, and today I get to head down to Marietta, Georgia, to Life University and the president of Life University, Dr. Rob Scott, who is a PhD in applied physiology. He has so much education, I had to like write it down because I can't remember it from heart. So he got that from the University of Minnesota. He went to Northwestern. He's got his diplomat in chiropractic philosophical standards. He went to Guelph, so he's actually Canadian, uh, Guelph University, and it's um, super excited and uh, pumped to interview uh, Dr. Rob Scott. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dr. Dan. You know, it's amazing. I can tell you're Canadian because you can actually pronounce the word Guelph, because in the U.S., they look at that word and those letter combinations just don't roll off the tongue properly, so. <laughs> what do they call it, then? Golf. 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 <laughs> and very seldom is it called Guelph. So it's spoken like a true Canadian that we are right now. I think uh, we can actually celebrate the big Raptors celebration in Toronto, right? How yes, often we can. There's not very often that we get to celebrate, uh, you know, championships between the North and the South, but this is certainly one of them. So it's, it's a fun time to be a Canadian, isn't it? It is. I was telling someone it's pretty funny how we can't get an NHL Stanley Cup champion in Canada, but we can get an NBA champion, which is kind of crazy. Eh? <laughs> Being a diehard Leafs fan, we haven't seen an NHL championship since 1967. So anytime we win, it's a good day, regardless of the sport. <laughs> which is funny because they won in baseball and then they won in basketball. And then yeah, now of like... 93, right? Yeah, and who would have thought maybe hockey might be our, our province or our, our sport for Canada, and they can't even do that. Well, Winnipeg, so Winnipeg had a good run this year, too, though. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you could be like Edmonton Oilers fan like me, and our favorite words are next year. Wait till next year. Maybe well, next year. I, I was uh, I was in uh, Canada doing the uh, the life tour, and I was in Calgary last week, so not far from Edmonton. Yeah. Well, not far, relatively speaking, right? Edmonton's still a long way north. Yeah. But I had the opportunity after doing that session in Calgary to spend uh, the last five minutes in the hotel sports bar right by the room we were doing it in. So I got to I got to experience that Canadian feeling of blowing a game in the last minute and a half where, you know, a couple hundred people go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. All right. Let's get on to the important stuff. Yes. So um, so right now, you know, you're, you're president of Life University. Uh, you know, taking a huge role in leadership and chiropractic. How did this even start in the first place? How did you even learn about this crazy profession called chiropractic? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, uh, as, you know, I, I say this, I tell people this when I, when I speak. Obviously, I grew up in Canada, so hockey uh, was kind of my game and, and lacrosse, box lacrosse. So my experience with chiropractic was getting hurt and going to a chiropractor. And yeah. I did years, right? Get hurt, go to a chiropractor, come back and forth. So my experience with chiropractic was very condition-based because that's what I was living. So... You know, whatever the sprain or pull or injury was, and the chiro in my hometown would take care of me. Did a great job, and it was it was great. So I went into chiropractic thinking that's what it was. So obviously, coming out of you know Guelph University and my master's degree, I was very kind of analytical and science based, uh, and my education was that way. You know, I have nothing bad to say about my education at Northwestern. They do a good job of what they did, but they, you know, it's very different. And yeah. you don't know that when you're a student because that's your experience, right? Schools are very parochial. Um, so I graduated, went up to Canada, practiced, uh, had a good time. Um, 
we had several clinics, but you know, there came a point in my practice life where I became, it became remarkably, uh, the word I guess is unfulfilling. Mm. Um, it was a disconnect. I thought I was getting into the natural health care and you know, natural approaches to care and things like that, but I, I really didn't understand the why of it. And I think that's the thing that resonated with me in the book to the point where I won't get into the details, but I literally considered leaving the profession at that particular moment in time. And I had this friend who, uh, you know, we all have these guys who went to other institutions, uh, you know, go to, go to work every day, just fired up about what they're doing. Those, those are the crazies. Yeah, they were the crazies, right? <laughs> And, and he was one of these guys, dear friend from college. He, he's known me since we were teenagers and we're still good friends. And he was the guy who kind of said, you know, you need to start coming to some of the seminars I go to, right? Mm-hmm. So I did and I got turned on to this thing that I'd never heard of before, and it was chiropractic philosophy. So I was, you know, that old saying, I think it's Deepak Chopra that says that, you know, seeds are blown by the wind and the train rece- receives them when they're ready to be received, right? I was at that stage of my professional career with frustration and lack of fulfillment and not knowing my why that when I heard this stuff for the first time, it just resonated so deeply with every core of my fiber that I started doing the diplomate in chiropractic philosophy down at Palmer, right? So um, you did that. So just to, to I, I'll, I just, I'll always just interrupt when I'm like, that's a really cool point. So so you just found out about philosophy and then you like, because you're the academic guy, you just said, I'm just doing a diplomat in that. Is that how it happened? Well, it was it a little, didn't happen quite that quickly. It happened over a period of time. Yeah. But my only exposure to chiropractic philosophy as a student and then early in practice was, uh, you know, I picketed Fred Barge when he came to Northwestern. <laughs> Did you? Lunatic. Uh, you know, and I was one of those crazy analytical science guys out with a, you know, a yardstick and a picture of barge on it going, don't let this die on campus kind of thing, which I look back on having known Fred now later in his life and he became a mentor of mine. That, I mean, how, how I did that, I have no idea. It's one of those things I look back on and I go, oh my Lord, I wish I could do that day over again. So no exposure to it, right? Other than slogan. Uh, so when you hear the slogans of chiropractic philosophy without the context that surrounds the slogans, the background information, which yes. most, most people in our profession have no idea of the philosophical conversation because they've never really studied it in any great detail, right? right. So they're seeing it through the lens of their understanding of what they think it means. And that's our challenge as a profession. So it was a period of time over a couple of years that I, I literally left Canada. You know, a couple from CMCC came along and bought our practices and rented our houses. You know, that thing when you put it out in the universe, you know, the void is filled. Well, what was filled. So we were able to kind of just go, we're starting from scratch. And we moved down to the States and bought the oldest continually existence chiropractic practice in Minnesota and and had a great run there and started working at Northwestern. And then I started getting into the diplomat, the philosophy thing. So it was so, over a period of a couple of years. Yeah. I'm just going to back you up because like a lot of people go through that. I just want to get back to that story. So, so you sold your practice in Canada and then, and then what made you decide to move to Minnesota? Well, it wasn't Minnesota. I'd actually gone to Arkansas. We were going to oh. wherever there would be a fresh start. So oh, I yeah. down to, to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas in the middle of July when it was like, I don't know, 120. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I took Arkansas boards, and we were really close to buying a, a practice up in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, a beautiful part of the state. Yeah. And I spent a, a week there. My wife and I went to spend a week in, in that part of the country, and, and it was the best week we ever spent because we came away from it and said, you know, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like the right fit for us. And then this practice came available in Minnesota. Now, my wife's from Minnesota, so there was some connection to the state and having gone to school there. Uh, familiarity with it, but it was just that, you know, that right fit. So we looked at practices all over, uh, all over the place. So it was, wasn't like we had our headset on this one. 
it was the right opportunity, right time. We went in, took advantage of it, had a great time. And that's when I started getting into the, the diplomat and chiropractic philosophy piece, driving down to Palmer uh, back in the early, probably early 2000s now, because I think I finished that in about 2003 or 2004. Oh, wow. So a lot of people who are listening to this um, have kind of are, are, you know, coming from a conditions-based model, whether it's pain or you know, in their mind, treating other conditions. Um, and then they're more mo- moving to more vitalistic one where we call it the life model or your, your optimizing function. Um, what was having the fresh start? What was the biggest thing that you did different? Cause you, you took over an existing practice and did it already have that underlying philosophy through the practice or did you just kind of have to lay that down once you purchased it? A little bit of both. Um, yeah. you know, he was an old timer. Um, so, of course, as is often the case, regardless of what school an old-timer graduated from, there was generally a fairly solid philosophical base to it, right? Yeah. Was, you know, the 80s on kind of where our schools started having their, their transformations in perspective. So he was an old-timer, been around for a long time, had it. Uh, we kind of obviously went in and did the usual kind of business uh, transition. You never do anything too quickly when you're taking over somebody else's practice. Right. You don't want to tank it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we were working, obviously, with coaching at the time, and, and we went through the normal transition and put it into our, our world as well. But, you know, we had a very broad uh, perspective on, on our practice, but it was based upon subluxation. Whereas before, I wasn't based upon that. I was based on managing pain, right? And yeah. you kind of use those things. My practice for me was essentially it felt like I was just, you know, banging down high spots all day long and asking people how the pain was. That's where the unfulfilling part of it is. And then when I connected more with why I was doing what I was doing with, uh, you know, the whole concept of universal intelligence and things like that, uh, the meaning for me, and I'm only speaking for myself, just connected because it was the missing link of the why we do what we do, not the how we do what we do part. And we focused so much on the how piece of it. So that became my intellectual journey after that because I was this science guy, right? I could relate to that world, but then trying to connect this other world into it, which is why I'm so frustrated with our profession. And when I hear this stuff about it's unscientific, dogmatic, I go, well, I just don't think we're willing to have the conversation as a profession. Right. Not. Yeah, totally. So when you, when you um, opened your practice, how long was it um, before you started working at Northwestern? Fairly shortly thereafter. I went in as an assistant dean of the clinics. Um, and when John uh, Allenberg was there, and I had a great deal of respect for Dr. Allenberg, uh, he wasn't the president when I was there, um, but uh, I worked part-time as that, and then my wife and I practiced in Edina, and then I kind of took on more and more responsibilities to the point where I became the, um, the dean of the College of Chiropractic at Northwestern from about 2002, 2003 through to 2005 when I left to come down here to life. And of course, it was during that period of time, you know, doing the diplomate at the uh, at, uh, um, Palmer was when uh, Dr. Raven was there. Right. He was president chancellor at the time. So I got to know Guy through my experiences down doing the diplomate. And of course, the dean of Northwestern or anybody in, in an administrative role at another chiropractic college like that coming down to do the diplomate was um, somewhat of a novel thing, you might say. Yes. Oh, totally. <laughs> the opportunity to, to get to know uh, Dr. Reekman and the others uh, around that management team pretty well. Um, which is why in 2004, when Guy and uh, Bill Jarr and, and, and the folks came to with the opportunity that presented itself at Life, uh, it was shortly on the heels of that when they were looking for a, an administrator for the DC program that I had the opportunity to come down and be a part of the management team down here at Life, uh, trying to um, get, uh, get Life uh, revivified, as Sid would say. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the, what was the draw? Because you've always been quite academic. Was 
was there a decision where you said, um, you know, you maybe could, you could have a bigger impact on the profession if you go, if you left practice? Cause did you then, did you sell your practice while you're still at Northwestern or did you? We sold our practice uh, when we came down here. So we knew we were coming down to uh, life um, and we had that opportunity. I think I knew probably around April. I started down here in July and we literally sold the practice within that window of time. Now, and this is just a curious question for myself as well, but if you, if you go from having a business practice that you've built up and you've worked at it hard, and then you go to, uh, and this probably actually sprung, sprung from when actually the first guy, guy got released from Palmer, um, you, you think if you sacrifice everything and sell your practice and then go to an institution where they could just fire you like yeah. as an employee, like did that cross your mind or how, like that to me, it's funny how people think business is risky, but I think being an employee is risky just cause I've always well, been, in you business. know, um, I guess I've always been fortunate and I still feel this way today because you know, they, the old saying that the higher up you get in leadership is like walking on a picket fence. It's exhilarating, but at any moment you could, you could flip and be skewered. Right? Totally. Yeah. So I, I take great comfort in knowing that I still hold active licenses. So I, I'd yeah. be more than happy to go back into practice and, and right. attend to the time. So I've never been worried about the, you know, the issue about what happens if you lose a job or lose your administrative job, because I hold a license and, and how beautiful is that to be able to go and work and provide care wherever you want in this profession? I mean, you have to get licensed, obviously, but I still hold licenses in Minnesota here in Georgia. I gave up my Canadian license a long time ago, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's not something I spend a lot of time worrying about. That's cool. So um, what were some of the biggest uh, challenges that you found that's uh, different from practice going into, um, into more uh, school environment? Yeah, uh, I'm grinning because, of course, somewhat of a rhetorical question. In practice, of course, it's a, it's a small operation. And, uh, you know, if you, if you walk into your office one day and somebody isn't performing or not doing the things you want them to do, you can change that instantaneously, right? Right. You can release them and get new people or you can deal with it on the spot. Uh, higher education is a really interesting beast because it's one of the only businesses around, when you think about it, that there's actually a a two-track governance system, right? There's an administration and then there's a faculty base and they have to work together in what's called a shared governance. So the ability to just say, do something, um, frankly, is, is you can still do that, but you have to work through that process. And sometimes those processes, when you come out of the business world, seem to be measured in geological terms because they just take <laughs> you know, an inordinate amount of time to get done. Despite right. the fact that everybody's working collectively to do that, it's just there's so many people involved. So that's the, the biggest challenge. Uh, sometimes it's a frustration, but it's just the reality of, of higher education, particularly like life, because it's, it's a big institution. You know, yeah. 450 employees here, about 135 to 140 faculty. Um, so you know, that's, a, that's a lot of coordinating pieces that all have to be involved in, in conversations compared to smaller schools that you know, may have 100 staff sort of thing. So it's right. just it's a big operation. How many students right now are currently at life? 2,700 uh, through the university. We've got just under 1,700, uh, 16, I think we're 1,675 in the DC program and the balance rollout through the undergrad and, and graduate programs. Um, so we're putting uh, you know, a lot of emphasis on enrollment growth. Uh, obviously on the DC side, we can, we can still uh, have some capacity issues there. Although we never really want to get to the size that we were back in the 90s. Life was a big chiropractic program. 
Uh, we really want to make take the, the chiropractic principles and vitalism and, 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 and enroll and grow our undergraduate and graduate programs because it would be really neat if people were graduating in nutrition, psychology, and you know, exercise science and business and going out into their communities uh, with a vitalistic mindset or lens to look at how to solve problems in their community. So right. uh, that is a really interesting part of Life University. Obviously, chiropractic is the flagship and yep. you know, we focus a great deal on that. Um, and uh, with chiropractic, you know, we express vitalism differently than in some of these other programs. But it's uh, it's a really fascinating institution compared to my experience. And I've been at Northwestern, and I've been at Logan, um, and uh, around the profession now for thirty years. That uh, life is a really, really unique place. What was the when you said in the nineties was at its peak uh, enrollment? What was the maximum that life got to for students? You know, I'd say I honestly don't know the answer to that, but I, I'm assuming it's in the high three thousands, probably. Wow. Four thousand. Um, you hear numbers that are larger than that, but I'm, that's my guess as to probably where it was at, which is wow. a big, big place. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to get into a couple of stories just about you and 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 we always talk about a little bit about self care because like a lot of chiropractors get burnt out, and I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure with all of your different experiences, I'm sure there's been times where you've been frustrated or burnt out. And, and I wonder if you can kind of give an example of that and then what you did to kind of overcome that. Well, you know, the biggest one I just described earlier, I mean, the burnout when I was literally ready to leave practice. You know, that's the sort of thing where people make changes because of pain or pleasure. That was a painful experience. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to suggest that to people, right? But that's right. literally the state we were at. Nowadays, for me, it's balance is really what it comes down to, right? Everybody has to have something in their life that gives them pleasure and rejuvenates them. Uh, for me, it's family. It's a youth sports. I mean, I, I can get out of here, and I do almost every day when I'm here. I run a youth lacrosse program in Atlanta, um, and I go and have fun doing things that I used to do when I was younger. And when you get connected outside of all the kind of the <laughs> BS that yeah. goes on, in the political landscape of, of chiropractic and education, and you get to go back and see the pureness of kids having fun and playing a sport. Um, it's just perspective, you know, and mm -hmm. that's what kind of rejuvenates me. I spend almost every waking minute when I'm not uh, in, involved in work activities doing uh, youth sports. So it's, it's odd, it's tiring, but it's, it's revigorating and it provides that lens, that perspective that's necessary to really keep me grounded on what the big picture is. And this is just my personal question. What's it like to spend a winter where you don't have to put uh, snow boots on in a winter park on? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 uh, I got to be careful how I answer this because probably now I do put winter boots in the park. Oh, you've turned soft. <laughs> I gave my Canadian card back a long time ago. I was one of those folks when we first moved down here in 2005, which was July from Minnesota. I literally thought I was going to die. I mean, it was <laughs> and humid and I was going what have we got ourselves into right and yeah. we, we would laugh at people who would have the big heavy coats on and the earmuffs when it was like 36 yeah Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit. Yeah. just above freezing right and you're yeah. going what is this and you're just wandering around kind of in your sports jacket and that kind of thing but with time I'll guarantee you I became one of those and you'll often see me in the middle of January walking across campus with a full-length wool coat <laughs> Um, I, went, I went back home. Sorry for the side story. I went back home. My, my family lives in Canada still. So I was at my brother's in Scarborough for his summer pool party in, in July. And I'm, I'm the one who is not going in the water because, you know, the water's too cold. 
because pools down here are like 100 degrees in the summertime. They're, they're not, you know. It's like a hot tub. <laughs> like a hot tub, right? And I'm sitting there with a hoodie and a sweatshirt on because, you know, it's probably, I don't know, 28 degrees Celsius or something. <laughs> that's, like, that's like sunburn weather for us. <laughs> I know. I know. So I gave my Canadian card back a long time ago. <laughs> cool. Um, now, again, I'm just, I'm just doing like a little bit of a, a tour. Try, I'm, I'm trying to interview like all the, uh, as many as I can, of the presidents of the vitalistic schools. And I'll get into the, the profession as, as, a, as a bigger thing here in a second. But what, what is Life University doing to really help um, grow vitalistic chiropractic? And um, just to give people, listeners, some of the things that you guys have been doing, yeah. just to kind of grow our brand. We call it our brand, right? right? Yeah. Well, first of all, one of the things that I think is important in the conversation is uh, life has, has taken a really conservative effort since about 2007, 2008 to actually define what it is we're talking about. That's think, good. You know, professionally, this is what we have to do moving forward. When we're talking about vitalism and subluxation, uh, we have to start putting some kind of bumpers or containers on the conversation so that we're actually having a conversation with people about the same topic. Because often we're not, right? Uh -huh. So Back in through the octagon at Life University back in 2007 or 2008, when we started looking at this concept of vitalism, we really, you know, it's not unique to chiropractic. Um, no. Lots of providers share a vitalistic view. Uh, we asked ourselves, what, what, are we, what do we mean when we say vitalism? Because that's the starting point. If you look it up in the dictionary, it doesn't have a very flattering definition. You know, it died the death of a thousand cuts when the scientific revolution came along and all that. Uh, so it's got some really kind of derogatory connotations historically to it. So if we're going to start using this word as a profession, we need to start to say this is what we mean by vitalism, right? right. So we had a big conference back in those days, and we invited all those speakers. You know, I've shared that with – it wasn't a chiropractic conference. We had uh, – uh, I've just gone blank on her name, Monica Greco. Yeah. College in England, who's a, a PhD philosopher in vitalism, probably one of the most prominent. We had uh, Katrina Witt uh, from MIT. We had Amala Gula, who was a PhD in Ayurvedic medicine from, I think, Georgetown, Ian Coulter, Peter Fisher, the homeopath to the Queen of England. Um, so we had a, a kind of a broad perspective of individuals having a conversation about what this thing means to them and their healing professions and systems theories approaches. And at the end of that conference, there's an 800-page document that's on our website on octagon.org if people want to read all those presentations. But really, the long and short of it came out of us that when we say vitalism, we're talking about the self-conscious, self-organizing, self-maintaining, and self-healing ability of living things. Right. Period. Okay, so those are the bumpers that we're talking about on this concept of vitalism. That living systems, whether it's the ecosystem, birds, trees, bees, rivers, or us, have a right. self-organizing, self self-maintaining, self-healing ability. And when we start having a conversation in healthcare with, within that context, we can kind of eliminate the periphery of things that kind of get in the way of the conversation, of progressing in the conversation. And... Um, that's what life's doing with the vitalism is moving forward in that context of having the conversation of vitalism about that. You know, obviously our institution has programs that are based upon that. So whether you're talking about nutrition or positive psychology or exercise, it's about, you know, vitalistic systems work best when they're free of interference. Uh, you know, the ecosystem flourishes when it's free of our interference. So how do we remove that interference to the ecosystem? And with chiropractic, how do you remove interference to the nerve system? So all of our programs look at removing interference to living systems. 
Wow. And we're really moving that concept forward. And, and it's important to, like I say, to get, it doesn't, you know, the nice thing about it from my perspective, and this is, this is where I got caught up in chiropractic philosophy. See, chiropractic's major premise was so vitally important to me. Um, it kind of was the umbrella for everything. And, I, and I'm going to be straight up with you. I am not a religious person. Okay. Yeah. I was not raised in the church. Well, I was raised till I was 12, but I'm not a religious person. So I come at this through a different perspective than a, than a theological or religious perspective. But the major premise was powerfully important to me. And the nice thing about the major premise, and, and Dave Koch used to always say this, you know, universal intelligence is in all matter, right? Yeah. It doesn't speak to where it came from. No. Origin. I don't have to worship it. I don't have to fear it. I don't have to personify it. It just is there in all stuff, right? And if you can contain a conversation to just the understanding that it is. It is. Yeah, it exists. The conversations of the how and the where it came from stuff, it could be an important part of the conversation. So with vitalism, you know, there's a self-conscious, self-organizing, self-maintaining, and self-healing ability in all living things. It's the same thing. It just is. It's not a conversation about its origin and where it came from. Right. Those are the bumpers, right? Right. That's the bumpers that we think are important to move the conversation forward. Now, it's, I, don't, I don't want to minimize the other questions because those are vitally important. But it's not the place to start a conversation from when 50% of our profession is not going to agree with you right out of the gate. Right. So that's kind of life's position in this. And then that, that transpires into the subluxation conversation then from a chiropractic perspective. Can I just ask you a question right in that? Um, so in your experience, when you've presented the bumpers, because I know a lot of times the evidence-based camp, really, they throw that at us all the time, that it's religious, it's based on like some magical powers and stuff, and that's why they try to discredit it right off the bat. How successful have you been to be able to present those bumpers and say, can we have a conversation within those bumpers? I've been successful at it, but it's, uh, you know, it takes some time to kind yeah. of walk through the logic, right? Yep. So I was at the, uh, in a state association, a unified state association recently, where I had time to walk through that. Very well received, and people seem to embrace it. Um, and again, it's just, a, it's just a bumper conversation. It's not like anything else doesn't, isn't part of the conversation. It's just, right. you know, this is, let's try and focus on here. Because the minute we get out to the outsides, and this is, you know, chiropractic is a study of all things natural, you should, you should know, know that saying, right? Yeah. As opposed to what? And people go, well, it's a study of all things natural, like vitamin C. No, it's a study of all things natural as opposed to the supernatural. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the, that's the conversation we have to bring ourselves back into is, is bringing this perspective of vitalism into a, a naturalist perspective that can be testable, researchable, and, and quantified. Uh, whatever that looks like, by the way, and we can have some conversations about that. The minute we start getting into the supernatural, um, then we're in a world where there's going to be no professional unity in this at all. Well, I think, uh, and Jeannie uh, owns, owns a really good friend of ours, and, she, and I really like how she puts it. She said, we're just trying to create normal physiology, optimize normal physiology, which is yeah. natural. Um, and that's always, not supernatural. As a physiologist, I sit there and I say, physiology, window <laughs> to an I mean, that's how we measure adaptive response in the body to chiropractic. Right. Yeah. Which is so funny because I think, I think you come from such a great perspective because um, like I, 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 I was probably brought up a little bit more, more mechanistic. And then my first chiropractor was really philosophical. And, since, and they just made so much sense to me that since I was 19 years old, 
that's just the lens that I look at in the world. Right. right. Um, and so I have a harder time to understand their perspective. <laughs> so, so do you find when you're at the table, because you go to president's meetings, uh, you're, you're at all these different events. Um, and you're, and it's funny cause you said you're even frustrated, but, but you have their perspective because that's where you came from. So do you call upon that or, or how do you use that in, at those tables when you're talking with other, the other camp? I try to, um, yeah. you know, everybody is very passionate about the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, other presidents and other leaders who have, who have a different perspective are equally as passionate about their perspective as, as we are. Right. Um, so the question, you know, again, the opportunities don't arise very often to have those conversations. And that was my point, I think, in Montreal, is that there's so much contempt within the dialogue now that there's no opportunity to discuss. I'd like to sit back and, and I, I would like to think, although this is yet to be proven, that um, all the presidents in the chiropractic profession and the leaders would agree that there's a neurological basis to what we do. Hopefully. Again, I would hope so. Now, there may be some that would disagree with that or we have to define that, but I sit there and I go, that would be an interesting starting point, right, to see if there's a neurological basis. Um, I will say, you know, Dave uh, Wicks at CMCC, um, they came out with their rebounder statement on the International Consortium of Education that everybody uh, saw and was criticizing. And there was like a three-page document that explained the rationale behind that. And even in that document, they, they make statements like, uh, well, we agree with the simple version of, of vitalism that the body has an ability to heal itself. And you sit there and you go, okay, well, there's a starting point, right? Let's yeah, an agreement that everybody can kind of get around and let's start moving those conversations forward. And I, I think if an opportunity were to present itself um, from a perspective of a willingness to move into a dialogue uh, with the bumpers, um, based upon what you know, evidence supports, because that's part of the conversation these days, and, and it's an important consideration for our profession too. Maybe a separate conversation. Yeah. Do we do we want to be a distinct, separate healing profession, or do we want to be within the conventional delivery system? Um, and you know, the, the strategies involved in achieving either of those are different. And I, I'm sure we're having that conversation professionally, uh, trying to just be part of the the 800 pound gorilla and move forward. And there's upsides and downsides to that. Um, So those are the conversations that I think there's a lot of cultural biases that go into this from our starting points and our perspectives, Uh, but we have to come to the table willing to have the conversation and we have to be willing to compromise somewhere. And, and, you know, there's no agreements that are made politically that don't involve compromise. Right. Right. So um, what, what those compromises are, are haven't been discussed or identified. So I can't even speak to them. Um, but if bumpers are put on these things, then we're at least having the same conversation. It's really interesting. I just read a book, um, and I can't, I always butcher his name, uh, my high chick, chick, me high or whatever his name is, who he wrote the book flow. I don't know yeah, if you've heard of it. Well, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a crazy long name, but uh, he wrote a second book called, uh, the evolve, uh, the evolved self. And so he did a lot of research just on the evolving self. And he, and one of the, the really things he talked about was what what um, allows an organism or an organization to thrive or to evolve over time. And one of the statements that really got me was, as long as a system is a system that is highly differentiated but highly integrated, is the most likely uh, to survive. Which is yeah. like the human body, right? All the cells and the departments do totally different things, but they're highly integrated. And I think when I read that, I really almost resonated with me saying like if chiropractic, you know, if MSK guys want to do their thing, that's great. And MSKs, we do, we do our thing, 
but we're integrated, it actually will strengthen the whole unit and, and it makes it actually evolve as a profession. But if you have it too differentiated with no integration, it, that's cancer. Okay. <laughs> that's yeah. cancer in the body, right? And if you don't have it highly enough differentiated, you can't, it, like every cells can all do the same thing and it won't survive. Yeah. Or you lose your identity. Right. You know, Jeff, there was a book uh, written oh, a few years ago as well called Meaningful Marketing. I'm not a marketing guy, but it's just one of those. It was by uh, Doug Hall and Jeffrey Stamp. I don't know if you know these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a show uh, on TV about think tanking stuff that they were part of. And there was a, a statement on that about marketing a, a product, but I'm going to use product or profession because I think it's similar. Yeah. And this was the, the success of your product or profession is directly proportional to the magnitude of your meaningful difference. Right. So it gets exactly what you were just saying in that book is that there has to be some differentiation of what of what you're doing within the system right. that allows you to be able to provide a service and, and be successful within that system. Mm-hmm. And we don't seem to be wanting to address that. I mean, we as a profession, the conversation, and I don't want to dwell on the MSK conversation, but it seems like we've we've looked to see where the hole in the market is. And we're just trying to fill a hole without talking about the differentiation or the meaningful difference of what we're doing as we feel it's, it's the tail wagging the dog for me in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be where our conversation is going as opposed to what is the role of chiropractic within the healthcare marketplace. It's just, you know, there's an $80 billion low back pain problem. So let's fill it because, you know, evidence suggests we're good at it, which we are, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I know. Um, and I, I took you off tangent there because you're just about to talk about um, the subluxation conversation. So uh, mm. your perspective on the subluxation conversation. Again, subluxation is the same uh, area as, uh, you know, recently in WFC was part of this conversation, you know, the uh, up in Canada with the Globe and Mail and the National Post articles that came out, uh, you know, mm-hmm. early in this year. Um, you know, they use the word anti-scientific, dogmatic, pseudoscience and things as they're talking about vitalism and subluxation. Yep. And, you know, what they're referring to are very conceptual definitions from BJ's books and error, right? Yep. So I want to go meaningful, uh, rich content that we never want to ignore or, or never use. But let's bring the bumpers of, of the conversation of subluxation into, into a context that we can talk about. Um, so that we're having the same conversation again, right? We're we're not talking about the origin of vitalism. We're just saying here's subluxation. So I don't know what it is. There's like 300 definitions of subluxation around from Stevenson's above, you know, vertebrae above, below, or both less than luxation to uh, everything that's come out more recently with Rubicon and things like that. Yeah. So again, the conversation for us is to recognize that um, there's a tremendous amount of research being done all over the place on subluxation. So let's try to come up with a definition of subluxation. You know, the CCP back in 2013 came up with a great definition of, of subluxation. Um, we can wrap our arms around that one. Uh, the Rubicon Group in 2017 came up with their uh, kind of more narrow definition of subluxation. But the purpose behind it is to just, let's just try and define this um, so that we're having a conversation about the same topic and seeing how evidence supports those topics moving forward. Um, when we just use the word without kind of identifying where in that conversation we're having it, then we start being, you know, dogmatic, anti-scientific pseudoscience because people are talking past each other. You know, I think it was mentioned uh, we should just call subluxation uh, the loss of normal function of a, of, a, of a joint. You know, being really simplistic, there was a comment made 
And maybe that's a starting point because every, you know, and the sequelae of that, because then you start getting into the neurological functions. We just have to start having this conversation and embracing people from the science side into a conversation with some bumpers on it. Um, and I don't, even, I don't even have, you know, a dog in the race as to which definition we want to use. We just need one so that we can start having the conversation. One that has got some language in it that can be validated, it can be researchable, it can embrace the breadth of our profession and not just be a philosophical, conceptual one, which is where we have a tendency to want to go, right? Is on the philosophical side of the, of the conversation. Hey, look, at some point in time, we're going to lay our hands on people, right? Yep. We'll deliver an external concussive thrust into their spine. And a couple things are going to happen. There's going to be biomechanical changes. There's going to be neurological changes. And then there's the whole biopsychosocial world that goes into the, the output of the outcome of whatever that outcome is, right? Mm-hmm. So all stuff goes on inside our body, which is all researchable through hypotheses and things. We haven't done a very good job of it professionally, but it's doable. And then we want to know what the outcome is of those three variables after we put an external concussive thrust in Maybe it's, um, you know, the quality of life indicators. Are people sleeping better? Are their relationships better? Um, you know, obviously, we've done a, a very thorough job on low back pain, neck pain, right? Yeah. That's what we've been focusing research on in the last 25 years. But the emerging science is suggesting to us that, you know, particularly with the prefrontal cortex and the brain-based stuff with singular adjustments, you start getting into all the executive functions of the brain. That's the stuff that's really kind of intriguing to me professionally as Life University, right? And, and I'm calling that the emerging science because there's not a lot, of, there's not a lot of, of evidence for it right now outside of a handful of studies. And the quality of that evidence is still fairly low, so there's a long way to go. But I, I, I look at today with, with that brain-based stuff that's happening in chiropractic, we're at the exact same spot we were 25, 30 years ago with low back pain and neck pain. Right. No evidence for 25 or 30 years ago until Ronnie and Garrett and everybody started doing that research, right? And mm-hmm. we're a pretty damn good job of it because there's boatloads of it. But we don't want to just say that's all we're doing because that's where the evidence is. Because 25 years from now, there could be as much evidence for the emerging science on the brain-based cognitive executive function stuff as there is on low back pain today. Right. That's here professionally that we're going to miss that opportunity to really position chiropractic into, you know, the effects of what we call vitalistic healthcare. Well, and I find too, like even in Canada, like we're, we're, because we're kind of sort of blending into the MSK, the Red Sea, like uh, I can't remember. Oh, it's called Blue Oceans. That's another Blue blue Ocean strategy. It's about marketing. And so the Red Ocean is like, do you go into a highly competitive market where you have to like spend lots of money on advertising and then your only differentiation is price? because you have to be like the cheaper than everyone else or do you create a blue ocean where you have a unique product that's uniquely yours and then you you kind of create the market yourself and so that's one of our frustrations is is they that in canada they they kind of refuse to do any other research besides msk um, but then they keep saying that there's no research on the nmsk and and so pretty soon it's almost like in general chiropractic will lose its identity because you basically become like a physiotherapist. Which is why again you know profession as a profession and I don't want to speak to what's what's happening specifically in Canada per se because uh, you know but the the Canada has done a really good job through their research councils of setting up research chairs right. And yeah. individuals in the university. I mean that was an innovative thing that started several decades ago now in Canada. And they've done a good job of funding those now. The challenge that I think, and maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong with this on my perception, so somebody can correct me, but I think the challenge was there wasn't an overarching research agenda put in place 
by which those research chairs work. They're able just to do their own thing, which has resulted in a very narrow focus on outcomes. So professionally, I think it would be nice to see our associations, both in Canada and the U.S., working to paint a broader perspective of what I just described and then create a research agenda behind that, that mm -hmm. we know then we're going to be supporting researchers doing some more vitalistic research or quality of life outcomes indicators that aren't necessarily conditioned. I know life is certainly going that way. We've made a big commitment with our board to start funding um, a research agenda here to start filling that gap, but it, you know we can't do it by ourselves. Um, so that's the piece that's missing for me on the research conversation is they've just been allowed to create their own research agenda without the, the breadth of where the research should be. And there's opportunity there for us professionally to address that. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we've got chiropractors all over the world that are, and again, a lot of them are waking up to the political environment of what's going on right now. And, and a lot of them, actually, we get feedback that now they learn more about it. First of all, they're mortified that they didn't realize that some of the leadership in the profession high up is moving the profession in this direction towards MSK. And, and then they get depressed and stressed out and can't sleep at night. And they're all freaked out and worried. Um, first of all, just recommendations for people who feel that because you know, you're in the leadership position. So maybe some good news for them. And then the secondly, what, what can a chiropractor do to, because they want to do something, but they don't know what they can do to help out. Well, you know, right now I think it's really important. There's a, you know, there's that, that old bell curve conversation, right? The chiropractic conversation is happening on either side here. And the vast majority of the profession is kind of in, in the, the middle. middle. You're feeling disenfranchised from these polar conversations, right? Yeah, yeah. That's where I think, you know, this conversation that I'm trying to have, I think actually engages a lot of those docs in the middle because they go, oh, okay, well, that seems pretty logical, this vitalistic thing. And when you start talking about subluxation in a context that they understand and, and can relate to, that brings those people and engages them. The other part of it too, and this has been the age old problem for chiropractic is getting people active, right? Yeah. What's happening now is that um, through the F FCLB, our state regulators, and of course in Canada and other areas, uh, the regulators are making the decisions, right? Yeah. And they're happening very quickly with very small input from, from constituents. Um, this is a time where, where I think the doc in the office who feels strongly about what's going on now uh, just needs to voice an, an email or something to get involved in the conversation to let them know their position on where they want to go. Uh, we're a very apathetic uh, profession historically, and, and I've seen nothing to really change my observation. Well, I don't, I don't honestly know. I'm hopeful about it. Obviously, I wouldn't be doing this. I'm optimistic about this conversation. But it has to move away from the ends and start to engage those in the middle. Mm -hmm. And through shows like yours, it get to, you know, 2,000 people. And those 2,000 people get to people. It's kind of that six degrees of freedom and people get engaged through the conversation. But we have to get to the people who are making the decisions. And, and people making the decisions aren't that many. A hundred percent. And I think that's the other thing is that they are making big decisions based on the whole profession without getting input from the profession. So even just writing a letter or, or, or calling your, uh, your council, council member or something. And I, I get down to this, you know, cultures of contempt thing, because this is where a good conversation could be had before we just start throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I would think it would be a, it would behoove the profession to have kind of a, an academic discussion about the possibilities for the profession and how whatever the roots are into the, the, the landscape in these organizations is the way to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I'd like to ask Ants, ask a couple fun questions since we got so heavy. When you get heavy in the politics, we need to shake it off a bit, right? Because we're just getting like real serious. 
Um, so I was asked my Terminator question. So in the movie Terminator, um, you can fly back in time and then you could meet yourself. So if you're able to uh, fly back in time and meet yourself when you're like 20 years old or just in chiropractic college um, and you could give yourself some fatherly advice, what kind of advice would you give your younger self going through all the stuff you have in your life so far? <laughs> wow. I haven't thought of that one. So um, <laughs> see, I didn't even start chiropractic college until I was in my late twenties. So I was a grad, I was a grad student for a very long period of time. Um, I don't, you know, I don't regret anything. Uh -huh. That's the interesting thing. There's been, there's obviously been events, life events where things have changed, but I certainly don't regret, I don't regret, you know, uh, six or seven years of early practice. I, I wish I didn't have to spend those six or seven years to learn what I learned so that I could have benefited from the lost, you know, opportunity that was when I look back on it. Yeah. Um, my biggest advice is, um, I don't try to keep an open mind on conversations. I mean, it's uh, Father's Day just happened, right? I know uh, Lux yeah. probably didn't talk too much uh, to you that you understood, but uh, you know, it's those, cuddled, cuddled with me. it's those old conversations that you have with your dad, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager or something and you look back on it and you go, okay, yeah, the old boy was pretty right with that, right? You know, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So you should probably learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> Well, I don't. Uh, I, don't uh, I don't have a lot of regrets from it, other than I just wish I'd been uh, able to be exposed to the chiropractic philosophy earlier, with an open mind to kind of understand it. But I didn't, and I wouldn't probably, having looked back at it, because yeah. it was just the place I was in. So just for fun, if you and that's back in the old days, probably when you had cassette tapes, right? Because that was cassette tapes. Yeah. Exactly. So, so if you were able to give one cassette tape to your younger self uh, of a, of a car, like one of your mentors growing up, uh, going through chiropractic, what one cassette tape would you give to your younger self if you're trying to learn the philosophy? Um, I, this is a funny one. There's two that I still remember to this day, and I, you know, younger self would have been prior to when I was in practice, but I I ran these things. Till they were till they were broken, but uh, Larry Markson's report of findings tape from Markson Management days yeah. was, was to this day one of my one of my favorite tapes. And uh, Greg Stanley, you know Greg? Yeah, Stanley? I totally do. Uh, Greg uh, had a tape a long time ago um, with his confrontational box tape. You know that one where you're in practice or having to make decisions, but you know, you need to make a decision, but you're always saying, well, no, that's not it. And then you go around the box. So every decision is an answer or a solution that you don't want to do. So you find yourself in a confrontational box. That to me was one of those things that's like, yeah, that applies to life. You just have to make a decision and go for the damn thing. Stick your neck out and go for it because you just can't be saying, well, that's not me all the time or I can't do that. You need to get out of your comfort zone and you need to do something. So that uh, Stanley tape was, uh, was one that I still think is highly relevant. To this point. I don't even know if it's available anymore. I'll have to I, I don't I don't know if it's available too. I just I remember I went to a seminar with him and I think I was uh I know I was, I was 31 years old at the time and he said um as a chiropractor you should be saving your age every year. And and so at that time that would have been thirty-one thousand dollars a year to save. And I thought he was absolutely insane. I'm like, there's no way you can save that much. Right. <laughs> Which yeah. is hilarious because it's like then I went to D Martini and then a whole bunch of other stuff changed in my business, and then that was that totally is doable, but it was just, it blew my mind that there's no way no anyone could ever save that much per. So that's what, that's the kind of my Greg Stanley thing that sticks in my brain. <laughs> yeah, it was a while ago for me too. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so if someone's interested with, uh, you know, about in more information about life university, 
um, how can they contact the school or, or, you know, especially chiropractors out there, we really want them to refer um, any practice members that they see if they want to go to chiropractic, we're really trying to get them to go to the schools. Um, what can, where can they get more information about Life University? Yeah, absolutely. www.life.edu is the main website. Uh, you scroll down to that and the very bottom is all the areas you'd want to go to through admissions or development office or alumni. So that's the easiest way to get in touch with us. The, the piggyback on that, though, there is no more important time than right now. So our chiropractors out in the field, you know, they're doing great jobs uh, trying to, get, you know, provide interest in, in young people to go to chiropractic college. Uh, but it is so fundamentally important that if you have a young person in your office who's thinking about chiropractic, that you send them to a vitalistic school. I would love for them to come to life, obviously, yeah. but they just need to go to a school that embraces this, uh, this, this perspective, as opposed to the school that's the closest or the most convenient or, or something like that, which is obviously what happens. I was just in Winnipeg, and it seems like so many kids just go to Northwestern because it's just across the border. And it's a pure convenience thing. And we have to start realizing that the, the education, while they all get out, they'll all get licensed and be able to practice, the perspective that they're learning while they're in school is fundamentally important to this. So um, there's other ways of getting involved in life as well. I think you're aware we have Life Force docs. Um, obviously, Life Force, uh, probably 50, 60% of the students who come to Life University, and maybe more, come through Life Force. Life Force is a tribe of of docs in the practice who are committed to ensuring that everybody on the planet either has access to chiropractic care or chiropractic education. And they work with Life University in our recruitment office. They hold SREs. Uh, if you're willing to do an SRE, a student recruitment event in your office, wherever you're located, contact us and we'll set it up for you and actually go there if you want us to. Um, but it's just a way of kind of creating that relationship with docs that doesn't involve having to write a check or some financial contribution. And of course, the ultimate for us is to get students to life's campus through our life leadership weekends that happen four times a year. There's one coming up in July, October, January, and April. And that is, a, a, frankly, a, a no-risk opportunity for any student to come and kick our tires, right? right. It's, a, it's a big investment. Professional education is a big investment for kids these days. Yeah. Uh, and they need to go and check these things out. They need to go and look at schools and decide for themselves. We feel that we get them here on our campus. You know, uh, we give them scholarships to be able to fly in. You know, it's like 300 bucks if they come from a life force dock. Uh, we pick them up at the airport. We put them up in hotels. We transport them back and forth. We immerse them in vitalistic philosophy and life's college of chiropractic. Uh, we show them around Atlanta, the things to do. We take them back to the airport on Sunday and they go home and they have a really good idea of what the life university experience is all about. Our goal is to get students here to do that. So life force is a big part of ensuring that happens. Mm -hmm. Well, and then again, uh, just a big shout out because we've been, uh, Brandy, uh, my wife has spoken quite a few at times at Life Vision. And, um, and again, I want to thank uh, Life University for putting that on in Montreal because every, it seems like every two years, um, you guys do that in Montreal and it's an amazing event. So maybe just tell the listeners a little bit about Life Vision. Well, Life Vision is just an opportunity to get like-minded docs together to uh, celebrate vitalistic chiropractic. We have everything from educational components to pure motivational speakers. They're kind of that short segment, 20-minute kind of rapid-fire thing, so nobody has to sit and listen to somebody drone on for too long. <laughs> it's uh, just an opportunity to, to let people know that they're not alone out there, right? I mean, that was the beautiful thing about Montreal is there with 400-plus people yep. uh, there, and they come together and realize that people think this way outside of just them in their office 
and the day-to-day things. So bringing people together as a community, sharing vitalistic uh, chiropractic, uh, the passion behind it, what chiropractic is doing to help people in their lives. It's just, you know, it's a revitalizing experience. That's why we do it. I think next time we're probably going to do it in the Toronto area. We're going to go to Ontario. Oh, cool. I don't know if dates have been set for that, but of course there's a big demand for it uh, there as well. That's excellent. Well, uh, in, in closing, I always like to have my, uh, my guests uh, end with uh, some words of inspiration. And we have, we call it the breaking the underdog curse. So like chiropractors either feel like an underdog and they might be a little stagnant or just looking for a little bit of inspiration. And I was just wondering if you'd like to, what kind of words you'd like to leave our listeners with to close words off the podcast. Of I wish I had words of wisdom, you know, I have, <laughs> I have a question for you and then words of wisdom. So which book is selling more, The Underdog Curse or Sipping Brandy? Because uh, oh, you know, uh, Right now, Sipping Brandy is crushing uh, The Underdog Curse. <laughs> okay, good. I have to, I'll have to get my copy of that. I love the title, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing, this is, this is more of a metaphor because I shared it just the other day. When I was up in Winnipeg last week, I was watching Discovery Channel you know, sitting in a hotel room like you do when you're on the road in the evening, right? Yeah. And it was knocking the show about a turtle, you know, turtle life with the camera and stuff. So I was watching this thing just, well, they're kind of mundane little creatures. They're slow. They're innocuous. They just kind of do their thing, right? But the thing that I thought was really intriguing about a turtle is in order to make progress, to move forward, a turtle has to stick its neck out. Right, which I thought was a really interesting metaphor on life. You know, it might be slow, it might be tedious, it might be monotonous, uh, but in order to move forward, you got to stick your neck out. And I'm sitting there going, okay, that's chiropractic for me. Totally. Have to stick our necks out in practice to get out of your comfort zone, whether you're dealing with your patients in your office, doing things that, you know, you don't, you're trying experimenting new things, or professionally, we've just got to start sticking our neck out and make some progress here so that we can, we can bring uh, what we all know is, the magic of our profession to as many people as we can. Awesome. Well, I think that's a, that's good advice. And, and just from what our conversation was, is just about people just need to get involved. Right. So I think, I think that's the, the key thing, right? Get, get involved somehow. You bet. Absolutely. Show up. Show, show up. up. We just needed to show up. So, um, Dr. Rob Scott, thank you so much for, uh, being on the podcast, taking the time out of your busy schedule. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So everyone out there, I hope you got a lot from this, uh, this episode. I sure did. And, and, and uh, my, my big learnings from this uh, episode is, is get involved, um, start the conversation so that we can get out there and crush the curse. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you receive value from this episode, please take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. If you know a fellow chiropractor that could benefit from this message, please share it with them. Because it's my goal to provide you with great content, please contact me if you have any questions at drdonmcdonald.com or find me on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.